turn with me to Psalm 19. Uh, we're going to spend some time in Psalm 19, so I kind of want to prepare you to get you there. This morning, as we get into the Word, I, how many of you received the Calvary Connection email? You guys received that? All right. If you don't, um, maybe that's out of intentional, like, I don't want to. But uh, I, I wrote a letter uh, this week, and it, it was kind of based on, uh, in, in the book of Isaiah, there was this prophet. And, and Isaiah was a prophet um, that lived in a time that Israel was supposed to be like God's, um, it, it was supposed to be a picture of God's relationship uh, with a community of people in God's kingdom. And so Isaiah was one of the prophets uh, during that, that time. And one of the things that happened was God began to speak to these prophets. And prophets were just regular people that, that listened to God and God spoke to them and gave them a message for, for more people. Isaiah had this vision and, and what he saw, um, it says that uh, he saw, uh, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Um, his train, you know, the, the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. And, and then all of a sudden, Isaiah says something. When he saw a glimpse of God in that way, he said, woe is me for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. And let me, let me give you what that means. The word undone means like I'm doomed, I'm finished, it, it's over. And then he said that um, I, I'm a man of unclean lips. In other words, what he's saying is I'm a sinful man. I, I see who God is and I see who I am and I'm a sinful man and then I dwell amongst a people that are sinful also. And remember that he was in Israel. So it was at a time when uh, King Uzziah uh, was, was the king for like 50 years and it was uh, this time when it seemed like nationally the, the kingdom was going in a good way. And maybe think about it this way in the United States, it would be like uh, what I would call like the Reagan years. You know, he was a president that, that uh, he seemed to, to really be God-fearing in a lot of ways. You know, I don't know him, I didn't know him personally, but, but it would be like, let, let's say everything seems like it's going well, and he actually had both parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, kind of working together, and, and just, it, it seemed like it was on this track. But, but it says that right at that time that Isaiah looked around and he said, I saw the Lord, and then he, he was undone. And for me personally, I, I kind of feel like I'm in a place where I, I feel undone in some ways because when I think about what a disciple is, and I've just been reading um, about what a disciple is in the Bible, and I, I just compare it to myself. Jesus says, this is what a disciple is, and I look at me. Jesus says, uh, you're, you're to, my relationship with you should be so strong that you should hate your father, mother, you know, brother, sister, and he means love less in comparison. And then he says, that if you want to be my di disciple, you need to deny yourself. And I think of how many times I don't deny myself. I, I think of how many times I choose comfort or convenience versus sacrifice. I think of how many times I think of me more than I think of you or other people, even my family. I, I just look at who I am, and then I look at what God says, this is what a disciple is. And then I look beyond me, and I look at the church, and I'm not just saying you in particular, I'm saying the church culturally in America right now. And I just think if, if I were on an island and I'm just reading, you know, some missionary came to me and I never heard of God, I never heard of the Bible. And a missionary comes to my island and says, this is what God is like and this is who Jesus is and read the Bible. And so I'm reading the Bible and just imagine like um, uh, he, he gives me the Bible in my language and I'm reading the Bible and I find out what followers of Christ are like and who this Jesus is and how it changed the world. 
And then, and then just imagine for three years, this is all I'm doing. I'm just reading this Bible. And imagine three years later, he comes back and he says, hey, um, we have the means to bring you back to the United States so that you could come and be a part of a church and you could learn at a Bible college and you could be discipled. And just imagine that this, this person on the island is super excited. I can't wait to get there because I've just been reading about this and what it's like and, and, uh, and, and they get, you know, they get on this boat and they, they come over, they get to the United States, they're super excited, and then they enter into a Christian university. Or, or they come to a church or they, they see on television. I don't know if you've seen uh, the, this show that my brother-in-law was telling me about called Preachers of L.A., where it's like they're saying, hey, P. Diddy has nothing on us. You know, we got this, we're rolling in our rolls and in our Bentley, and we got all these things, and, and we want to show how successful we are also. And I just, I just think that, that that guy from that island would just be going, this is not this. This is different than what I'm seeing is not, is not this. But Isaiah, when he saw God, he didn't, it, it was two things. He said, first of all, woe is me for I am undone. So he wasn't being judgmental and pointing the finger and being self-righteous. He wasn't saying, look at all the hypocrites in Israel. Look at how we're supposed to be God's people and we don't follow God's commandments. He started with himself and he said, I'm undone. And so as I've been reading this, I've been, you know, this morning I was praying and thinking about it because um, I want to be careful in how I share this. Because when when my daughter Rebecca was young, when she was in junior high, I remember I was just I I was just sharing with her super passionately when we went to Washington, D.C. Do you know those trips that you take in junior high? And and it was just about our heritage and and I, I was just broken. I was just kind of sharing things with her because I met with uh, Barbara Boxer's chief of staff and, and I met with Zoe, uh, Zoe Lofgren, our, our you know, uh, c- congressperson. And you know, I met with um, um, uh, Feinstein's uh, chief of staff. And so I, you know, I was there and I was just talking to these people with some other pastors and, and we got into these, these conversations. And I remember I came back and I shared with her and she said, Dad, why are you mad at me? And I said, Rebecca, I'm not mad at you. She said, then why are you yelling at me? And I said, I'm, I'm not yelling at you. This is my passionate voice. And so she, sometimes she tells me, Dad, even over the phone, I'll talk to her, and she'll say, Dad, stop using your passionate voice. And I'll have to, all right, I just got just to gotta calm down. I, I remember in Little League, uh, uh, my coach, uh, he was yelling at the team, saying, what are we going to do? And we said, when? What are we going to do? We said, when? And I just remember this kid that was sitting next to me had never played baseball before. And he says, Michael, because Michael's not shouting when. Michael's just looking at him like, what's going on? And Michael, what are we going to do? And Michael starts crying. And I remember my coach going, Michael, I'm not mad at you. So I'm not, I'm not sharing these things like I'm frustrated or mad at you or anything like that. But I, I, just, I just look at what is a disciple today and what should we be in God's word, this is what a disciple is versus what we are. And I, I just hope and I pray the gap is closing. Because I, I know that I'm not, I'm not going to be exactly like um, the kind of person I want to be, but I'm so blessed that I'm not the person that I was, right? So aren't you blessed that God is doing this work? You may not be what you want to be, but praise God, you're not what you were, hopefully. And, and that gap between what we know and what we believe and what we are should be closing, like there should be little steps of, of this progress daily. Um, I, I mean, I think about Jim Harbaugh. He always says, we're just getting an inch better. We're just getting a 1% better this week. And, and, and that's for a game. He said, that sure gets me up in the morning. 
and, and he spends 70, 80 hours a week, and, and sometimes they sleep over at the facility because they're game planning. It's a game. It's a job, but it's a game. And I just think about for us as believers, how there are times when, when being a disciple is kind of like, it's kind of put on the back burner and, and I'm, I'm excited about this one, you know, this one hour where we get to look at what a disciple is and then I live my life and we can compartmentalize and it, it's all together. It's not like I have my spiritual life and then I have my work life and then I have my physical life and then I have my, my family life. It, it's all life and Jesus wants to be a part of every aspect of our lives, not compartmentalize. That's why he said, if you want to follow me, if only if you want to, if you want to be my disciple, then you need to be able to do this. Deny yourself, take yourself off of the throne and, and take up your cross, that instrument of death and die to self and follow me. And he explains, this is the way to life. So that's kind of the background of how I've been feeling. And, and when, when I look at what it means to be a disciple this morning, I just really believe that there are some super important, crucial stuff that are uh, an aspect of, of what it means to be a disciple. So we're going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to, to do this work and teach us and help us to understand um, what it is that God is saying to us. So let's pray. Father, this morning, uh, we come to you and we thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit helps us to understand these things. Um, Lord, I am praying that you would give me the ability to communicate only what you would want communicated in a way that you would want it communicated, in a, a tone that you would want it communicated. Because, Lord, we, um, we open up your word. And, Lord, um, so many times I could do it flippantly and I could neglect it. But, God, help us, uh, help us this morning to remember that you want to speak to us. And if there is someone here, Lord, that doesn't know you, you want to speak to them. So we open up our hearts individually and then collectively, and we say, God, please speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we consider what it means to be um, a, a disciple this morning, uh, we've just been looking at some of the aspects of what it means to be a follower. And remember, the, the word disciple, it means a, a learner. It's, a, it's really a follower of Christ. And, and when we look at... Um, we looked at the initial invitation when Jesus said to follow. And then we looked at some of the marks of a disciple. Um, Jesus is first in that person's life. Um, and, and it means that some of the marks of a disciple is that that relationship with Jesus becomes central to their lives. It defines who they are. It, it defines their identity. We looked at what it means to be a part of a church family. And just like a regular family, um, our families are not sinless, are they? You ever hear the phrase dysfunctional family? Okay, is there any functional family that, I mean, is fully functional? I mean, to certain degrees, I understand that there's levels of that, but, but we're, we're sinners, okay? We, we're imperfect human beings, so there's going to be some dysfunction. There's going to be times when we get mad at each other and there's arguments, all these things. A church family is no different, but there should be something supernatural when God's people say, I'm going to choose to be a part of this group of people because we believe in the same God and we serve God together and God starts to knit our hearts together. We, we, um, we're not perfect by any means, but it, we're covered by grace and grace means that I'm going to let you down as your pastor. I'm just going to let you know, don't leave when I let you down. If I let you down, just know I was going to let you down. I told you I was going to let you down and then don't go looking for the place where the pastor will never let you down. 
because you will leave that place also. And you'll go to another place. You'll keep going because every human being will let you down. But when that happens, talk to me. When that happens, say, hey, you know what? When you said this, it, it, it just bummed me out. Or, or you, the way that you did this or whatever. And, and we could do that with one another too, can't we? Because sometimes within the body of Christ, when someone hurts us, all we do is we build this, this force shield you know, around us. And like no one's going to get into that shield. I'm going to let these people in, but not this person because this person hurt me. And, and yet, how can we love our enemies if we just ignore them? Jesus didn't say, he did not say, ignore your enemies. That's a step up from the world, right? Because the world says, get revenge on your enemies. And we're thinking, wow, Jesus really takes us a step farther by saying, ignore your enemies. No, Jesus says to love your enemies. And so that's part of what it means to be a family. And then, and then last week we looked at what is our mission? It's to make disciples. A fisherman fishes, a singer sings, uh, a builder builds, a disciple disciples. So God's called us to be a part of that. This morning, we are going to look at uh, what a disciple means. And, and part of that is reading the Bible. Reading the Bible. Because Jesus said when you make disciples in Matthew 28, he said, teach them to observe all that I have commanded. Now, how can I teach someone to observe what Jesus commanded if I don't know what he commanded? And how can I grow personally unless I, I open up the word and read? Um, it's one of the reasons why we keep uh, talking about life groups is because discipleship happens with others. I just encourage you to, to get a part of a life group and, and Lord willing, we're gonna open up some more of them. And it's okay if your life group is small. That's a good thing because in that intimacy, sometimes you could share prayer requests. Sometimes you could, you could share things and get to know one another. So this morning in Psalm 19, we are going to look at reading the Bible, but I had to put this up there first. Um, I, I just remember this absolute ridiculous, uh, night. It was funny that I was, I was eating, um, a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And I, I just remember, uh, and, and the serving size on that is ridiculous. Cause it says half a cup. Don't lie to me. I'm going to eat the whole pint. All right. So I'm eating the whole pint and I know that I'm going to pay for it later, but I just, I can't stop. I'm eating this. And this infomercial comes on for total gym. You know, the Chuck Norris thing, and like, it's the total gym. And like, and like I'm like, Deanna, come here. You got to see this. This thing, it looks pretty, because, you know, you could fit it in your living room, and it's not like using weight. And, and you know what? We should get one of those. And that's, a, <laughs> wow, that's, that's, that's awesome. And, and so I'm eating my Ben and Jerry's, and I'm, I'm looking at this infomercial for total gym, thinking, man, it would, it just, that would feel so good just to be like, you know, limber and kind of get in shape. And, and I'm eating this bowl of Ben and Jerry's. And, and a lesson for that is even if we watch people train, it doesn't do anything to us if we watch people work out. So you could be here and you could see other people grow and you could listen to the word of God. And all, but if you don't, the definition of discipline is exerting intentional effort to do something. So if you need discipline to wake up in the morning, that's intentional effort. If you need to study, intentional effort. You want to um, do better at your job, intentional effort. Spiritual disciplines are doing things intentionally, not haphazardly, not by accident. I just happen to get in shape. You know, I don't know how. I just, ha I mean, uh, you, you could get in shape if uh, you are a, a courier riding those bikes in downtown San Francisco. And maybe that wasn't your intention. You were just wanting to get a job. And you just found out your legs 
got stronger and your lungs got stronger because you're doing this job, that's unintentional. A spiritual discipline is something that you do intentionally to grow spiritually. And and I, I put this up here because that is different than this. Carl Lewis was one of my favorite track and field athletes. I, I ran track and field in high school, did all of the events that he did just half, you know, or, or two times as long as it took him to run them. And um, I used to coach track and field. And the thing that I would see as a sprint coach that I learned from Carl Lewis is this. If you study the way that Carl Lewis ran, I would try to get my sprinters to run like him because his hands always were relaxed. And, and in slow motion, you could actually see his cheeks bouncing up and down because he was so loose. And I looked at this picture of me when I was in high school running the 100. And I I looked like I was just tense and just trying to go harder. And I was just fascinated by this, watching Carl Lewis. It looked like at the end of his race, he was exerting less effort than the other guys. But it looked like he was being shot out of a cannon at the end of the race because the other guys would fall back behind him and he would leave them in the dust. And what I started to realize is that Every athlete, every sprinter decelerates in a 100-meter dash. You get to top speed at about 60 meters. From there, you start to decelerate. The difference between him and the other guys is he decelerated less. Why? Because he was relaxed. Why? Because he was going in one vector, all going the same way. Not two vectors, not three vectors, just very smooth. And let me tell you, his training allowed him to run the race because he had trained for it. Now, when I contrast that guy, you know, versus this guy, um, I, I realized that if they were to run a race and the guy that was in the, on the sofa, he, he gets up there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat you in this 200, Carl Lewis, and they run the race. And, and Carl Lewis is running against this guy. Is it possible that that guy tries harder than Carl Lewis during that race? Absolutely. In fact, it's possible the guy has a heart attack because he's trying to run as hard as he can and he can't do it. He's just struggling. He's just trying. And Carl Lewis is smooth. And because he's trained, it's easy. And he runs the race and he finishes way ahead of the other guy because he's trained. And what I realized is that there's a difference between training and trying. Have you ever tried to be a spiritual Christian? You, you go to church, you're, um, you're just kind of inspired by something that you heard. You're like, that's it. Today, I'm just going to read the Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be loving and patient. I'm not going to sin today. I'm not going to sin. And you try. Only to fall flat on your face and to get so discouraged. And spiritually, it's like getting those side aches when we're out of shape. Try to run a mile if you haven't run a mile. And you just like, you, you try hard, you could try harder, but the thing is that the training hasn't been there. And in the same way, spiritually, if we want to be disciples, there has to be a training that takes place. We don't just wake up and become spiritual people. There's a training process in being a disciple. So how do we grow as disciples? First of all, situations. God puts us in situations. Some of you have come through incredible crisis and that crisis time was the time that you called out to the Lord. Your life was falling apart. Um, you found out that you were uh, getting fired from your job. You found out that someone that you loved was leaving you. You, you got news from a doctor. 
um, you, you failed in this thing that you thought you could do, whatever it is. And that crisis is sometimes how God reaches out to us. Those situations of life, sometimes he puts us in things that are way over our head. Have you ever been put in a situation that is way over your head? Like, how do I do this? I can't do it. So we grow as, as disciples or in faith. Significant relationships. Um, my brother was here last uh, weekend at the men's boot camp. Because my brother became a follower of Christ, that significant relationship so affected me that I started to grow because of my relationship with my brother. You grow by serving others. I just encourage you to, to serve in ministry. You know, we, we showed that video last week of the children's ministry. And, you know, this morning in prayer, I was praying for some of the teachers that never get a chance to be in here because they're always out there. And they're realizing, man, there's all these people at the church that I don't know. And if that's on your heart, serve in, in different capacities, not just here, but outside. And what happens is your faith begins to grow. Solid biblical teaching. You know, you find a church that opens up the word of God and teaches from God's word and teaches God's word. And that's why when it comes to what it is that we teach, if we don't have God's word, there's nothing to teach. If we don't have God's word, there's nothing for me to say. There's no material. Um, and then individually, this is what we can apply. Spiritual disciplines. Now, when we look at these spiritual disciplines, um, the one that we are going to look at today is how God speaks to us through his word. I, I remember um, in the 1980s, there was this guy, and it was just this crazy thing. I, I remember him saying, if God, uh, God spoke to me, and he locked himself up in this tower, said, I cannot come down from this tower unless I earn a million dollars. Unless you send in one million dollars, by this certain date, and there was a deadline on the date, he said, God said he's going to kill me. I just remember I was a new believer, and, and I just remember hearing that and getting super excited. Like, oh, in my twisted mind, I'm thinking, I hope he doesn't earn it. I just, I hope so. If he, if he doesn't earn it, there's one of two things. Number one, he dies. And like, wow, he died. God really did that. And everyone knows that God's real. Or he doesn't earn it, and everyone knows that he's a phony and that God doesn't do stuff like that. And, and so either way, I remember we're just thinking, I hope he doesn't get it. And I was so bummed he got it. And I was like, ah, oh, he got it. But the thing that blew me away is that he captured natural, national attention because he said God spoke to him. And just imagine if, if you said, hey, God spoke to me, and on this day, I'm going to be at this place, you know, in the Empire State Building or wherever, and I'm going to deliver the message that God gave to me. So just imagine everyone's watching, they're tuning in, they're listening, everyone's online. Oh, what did God say? And yet, God does speak to us. So we, we look to that and we think, oh God, you know, he's going to speak to that person. That person's going to tell me what God said. But yet God says, no, I, I'm speaking to you. I brought a visual aid. You know, sometimes I like to do that um, just to represent God speaking to us. Here's my visual aid. Okay, <laughs> it's my Bible, right? God speaks to us. And, and as he speaks to us, he wants us to pick up his word and to read it. Now, what I'm doing is I'm going to share over the next three weeks, this week and the next two weeks, basically, it's like a semester long, at least a, a class on, on the Bible itself. So we're just kind of highlighting. We're not going as in depth as we would normally go if it were a class, but, but we're looking at why do we read the Bible? 
And uh, is the Bible trustworthy? Isn't it just full of myths, people say? It's, it's an ancient book. Is it relevant for us today? Why should I read it? Um, how is the Bible organized? If you just start from Genesis and read to Revelation, it gets pretty confusing, right? You just kind of get bogged down if you don't know how the Bible's organized. And then the last thing is, uh, how, how do I read it myself? And so when we consider these things, in Psalm 19, um, I just want to read it and, and go through some things in here, looking at God's word. Because in this psalm, David, who was this uh, a worshiper of God, uh, most of the worship songs that we sing, um, there's biblical uh, references in them. And, and so many of them are from David, who was this incredible worshiper. And he wrote this. He said, um, and remember, David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he said, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. Night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven uh, to the other and its circuit to the other end and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The first thing that I see when it comes to reading the Bible, when it comes to what David wrote, um, technically, uh, you know, if you study theology or doctrine, this is called general revelation. In Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, in, in Romans chapter 1, um, in, in sections of the book of Job, God speaks generally to all people. And, and even if someone has never had a Bible, you just look up and you see, have you ever looked at the stars at, on a super dark night in a place like the forest or, or if you're in the high Sierras, you're up in the mountains, you ever just look up and it, it's, it's breathtaking. There's a sense of awe, of majesty. You begin to feel very small. And you look at the way that God has not just created the universe as far as large scale, you look at small scale. Um, I, I went to the eye doctor last week, and um, they they do this thing where they they say look at you know look at my ear, and you're looking at the ear, and then they shine this light because they're looking in your eye, and what they're looking at is aqueous fluid. They're looking at pressure. They're looking at these you know the the way that the eye is designed. It's an amazing thing with these rods and cones that are floating in this ball of fluid that takes light images and, and through the lens and the red and all these things, it, it takes an image and turns upside down. Your brain writes, I, I don't understand all the things, but it's an amazing thing when you consider just the eyeball. And if you just look at the eyeball, would you think that that just, the eyeball just happened? I, I remember talking to one of my students at a uh, Bible is literature class at a public school. A really smart student at the time he scored um, over a 1500 on the SAT, which, you know, it was 1600 was perfect at the time. And the dude was a skeptic. He, he took the elective class to show that everyone in the class was stupid and, and the teacher was stupid and it was a public school. So I was teaching it as literature, but first day of class, he raised his hand. He said, Mr. Valencia, he goes, I want to ask you a question. He goes, I just want to know, do you, do you believe that this book is true? I said, Ben, yeah, I do. I believe this book is true. And he said, so you, you believe that God just spoke? And he says, all of a sudden, you know, the universe is created. I said, Ben, yeah, I, got, I, I do. 
And then he kept asking questions. I said, well, let me ask you a couple of questions. I said, do you believe that the universe has just always existed? Now, being the smart kid that he was, he said, no. I said, why not? He's like the second law of thermodynamics. And he's talking about the law of entropy and, and all of these things. He said, the universe had this beginning. I said, okay, so what was at the beginning? He said, there was this, it was a, a big bang. I said, what caused the bang? And he's like, well, there was this uh, fluid, you know, and the, these gases, and they were just like, caused the gases. Well, and he just, we just kept going. And so I said, Ben, if you were to walk on the beach and a ball just came up onto the beach, a ball made out of glass, perfectly formed glass ball, it floats because it's airtight and it just comes up. I said, you picked up the ball. I said, what would you think? Would you think that that just happened? It's a perfect sphere. And he said, no. And I said, why not? He goes, because he's just talking about like how that wouldn't just form underwater. And he's, you know, saying all these things. I said, so what if the ball were bigger? What if the ball were thousands of miles in diameter and it was spinning? And imagine the ball was next to a ball that was bigger that gave heat. And it wasn't so close that that ball would burn up and it wasn't so far away that it would freeze. And on that ball were little tiny creatures that walked around and it's spinning around, but they don't go flying off even though it's spinning really fast. And then on that, on that, that creature, there's a ball inside of that creature's head. There's two balls. And inside the ball, there's these aqueous, you know, aqueous fluid and rods and cones that take vision and, and can see. I said, so do you think that just happened? And he just stared at me and, and everyone was like staring at Ben, you know, and, and it was this thing. I said, you know what, Ben, it comes down to this. You have faith and I have faith and your faith is way stronger than my faith because I couldn't believe that. I just remember talking to him about that and, and God in his general revelation speaks to us. He speaks to us through our conscience. The Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin. You don't have to convince someone that murder is wrong. They know that it's wrong unless they have seared their conscience to a place of not believing it. And what David is writing here is that the heavens declare the glory of God, um, the stars, the night, all of these things. It's like speech that is being poured forth from a God that is a creator, letting us know that I have created this, letting us know that he wants to know us, letting us know that there's order and there's laws of science in this universe because this is how God has created things to function. And yet notice this, that it says in, in verse seven, this is where we begin something called special revelation. It says, thus saith the Lord, um, or, or when we think of special revelation, it's a direct quote. It's not just what we think about God when we see creation or we hear something. Special or specific revelation is where God speaks. Over and over in the Old Testament, you'll hear that um, the prophet said, thus saith the Lord. So God is speaking to them and they wrote. When we read the Bible, it's specific, it's special revelation. And so now in verses 7 through 14, look at what it says. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. You know, we look at why we read. And one of the reasons why we read God's word is that God's word is perfect. Um, it's complete. It's not, uh, my thoughts about God are incomplete. But God wanted to reveal himself so much so that we would know who he is. It converts the soul. Uh, Rick Oliver, who used to be the science teacher over at Mount Hermon. Any of you guys know Rick Oliver? Some of you remember him? Mount Hermon over here, he was the, he was the science guy. Um, he was an atheist. And as an atheist, um, something happened. I, I, I believe it was his, his first wife had died 
um, very suddenly, and he was very angry. And he took a Bible, and he went out to the forest right here in, in the Redwoods. And he just, he said, I just yelled, and I read it, and, and I said, God, if you're real, then speak to me. And he took the Bible, and he just threw it, and he just, he just chucked it out into the canyon. He was just so angry. He was just yelling at God. And so he went home, and, and he was mad because God didn't speak. He didn't hear an audible voice. He didn't sense anything. And then he thought about the Bible that he just threw. He thought, you know what? Let me see what God's all about. So as a scientist, he just began to read God's word. And as he began to read God's word as a skeptic, by the time, and he was, he was not those skeptics that are dishonest skeptics. I say, I don't believe that. Well, what don't you believe about it? I don't believe the stuff that it says. What does it say? I don't know. Just, I don't believe it. Um, what stuff don't you believe? Well, you know, the stuff that's in there. Well, so Rick read from Genesis to Revelation. And as he was reading all the way from the Old Testament to the New, when he got to the Gospels, he got on his knees by himself in his room and said, God, you are real. Forgive me. Come into my life. And he was regenerated at that point in time, born again, saved in his room by himself just by reading God's word. One of the reasons why we read God's word is it changes us. It converts the soul. It, it's, it's living and it's powerful. We, we, we see and says in verse um, 7, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. God's word gives us wisdom. Man, if you, you want to know what to do, um, the book of Proverbs, you know, it's 31 Proverbs. If you just read a proverb a day, you'll just grow in wisdom over time. And, you know, I, I don't take credit for being this wise person, but I have read through the Bible several times. And I, I've read through Proverbs so many times, you know, month after month, just kind of looking at those. That I, I just remember wisdom coming out as a young pastor. I remember I started the church in, in Gilroy. I was like 27 years old. And, and I just remember I was intimidated by these. I had people that were in the church that were older than me. And I, I was like, God, how can I teach? How can I lead this church when I haven't had the life experience that they've had? And what I started to find out is when they would come in and meet with me and ask me questions and, and older couples would come in for marriage counseling. And I just found that wisdom came out, not because I had the life experience, although that is important. I realized that God's word had taught me some things over the years. God's word gives us wisdom for living. It teaches us. So many times, you know more than people that are smarter than you, that have more education than you, that have uh, more pedigree degrees after their name, simply because you know God's word. There's some wisdom that you have that they don't have. Open up God's word and God wants to share his wisdom with us. He's not holding it back from us. He wants to share it. God's word teaches us what is right. Notice what it says in verse eight. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's word teaches us what is right. I had a friend that uh, when he was a new believer, he was coming to the college ministry when I was uh, at Calvary Chapel San Jose. He was there for a while. And he started actually getting involved in Campus Crusade over at uh, San Jose State. And so he was coming to the college ministry and I remember one night after the college ministry, he pulled me aside and, and I said, what's up? He's like, he was, he was undone. He, he heard the message and he was just super depressed. And I said, what's the matter? And he said, I'm leading this college ministry. And, and you talked about um, 
you talked about marriage and you were talking about in your message about, about sexual purity and how God wants us to wait until we're married because he wants to bless that unity within the marriage. And he said, and I, I didn't know that was wrong. I've been leading this college ministry and, and here I am. He said, I'm, I'm not even practicing what it is that you're saying. And he was undone. We, we prayed and, and praise God, he's still in ministry to this day. But I'll tell you what, his heart was open to the Lord so that when God's word convicted him of sin, he did something about it. You know, the problem is that sometimes when God's word convicts us of sin, we close it. We stop going to church. We stop listening. We don't want to hear it. We shut off all, blah, 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 blah. We shut our ears and we're like that kid that doesn't want to hear. So it just makes more noise. And we make more noise with our life because we don't want to know what God's telling us that might be in contradiction to how we're living. But if we're honest with God and we're really seeking God, then I'll tell you what, that God's word teaches us what is right. It, it, it teaches us godly fear. Notice it says in verse nine, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and so if I don't have this godly fear and understand that God is God and I'm not, and if I don't understand how powerful and holy and how different he is than me, and I, I start to see myself on equal level as God, you know how we start to see ourselves on equal level as God? We start to edit this book. We start to say, I believe this and I believe this, but I don't believe this. I like this, but I don't like that. You know who did that? Thomas Jefferson did that. Thomas Jefferson took the Bible and edited out all of the things that he did not believe were true. And he had this little Bible. It's called the Thomas Jefferson version of the Bible. You know what Thomas Jefferson did? He elevated himself to equal with God. But when I take God's word as it is, godly fear will make me realize I am not the creator. Sometimes we say so many times, um, uh, God, as I understand him, there are so many things as a Christian, as a pastor, I don't understand about God. There are a lot of things I don't know. I'm just worried about the things I do know. You know, those are the things I'm having a hard time with, just the things I do know. And so God's word, it, it teaches us godly fear. And then God's word is sweet. In the 80s, we used to have this slang word. I don't know if you guys remember that. Sweet. Yeah, that is sweet, man. And, and now people don't say that anymore. They say sick. I like sweet. You know, that's sweet. That's a sweet ride. Um, so when, when you think about sweet, it says that, yet in verse 10, more to be desired than gold, even more than fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. They, they didn't have packets of sugar and sweet and low and splendor like we do. You know how they would sweeten things? They would use honey. So honey just made everything better. It's like, oh, honey, you know, and, and it was just good because there weren't artificial sweeteners the way that we have artificial sweeteners. And what David is saying is that when you really get into God's word, it's sweet to your soul. It does something. It, it enlightens you. It, it makes you... Uh, enjoy it. Um, again, the analogy of the runner versus the couch potato guy, um, distance runners, I never understood distance runners because I was a sprinter. And I remember when I started coaching, you know, I partnered with this other guy, Mike Gomez. He, he coached the distance guys and I coached the sprint guys. And I asked him about distance running. Like, how did you fall in love with distance running? He's like, I don't know. He said, it's kind of like hitting your head with a hammer. It doesn't feel better till you stop. And I was like, well, why do you do it? He's like, I, he, goes, he goes, there are times though 
when you hit your head in the ha- with a hammer hard enough and long enough, he goes, with distance running, eventually it feels good. And he calls it a runner's high. I'm like, I've never experienced that. You know, I've never, and he told me it's because I haven't pushed myself hard enough and long enough to experience that runner's high. Now, recently, um, you know, a few years ago before my knees were messed up, I started to do that. And you know what? It's true. The endorphins start to kick in. And I was just a better, nicer guy. I would just come home in a better mood. And I was just nicer to my wife and nicer to people around me because I experienced that. And some people look at God's word and say, why would you read God's word? It's, it's confusing. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And maybe you've never really pressed in to say, God, please speak to me. Maybe you've never given it enough time to do that work in your heart by opening it up. And, and Rick Oliver said it was when he got to the gospels and he started in Revelation, started reading all the way through. Maybe you stopped in Leviticus. You're like, I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm reading about the, uh, killing doves. I don't want to kill birds. You know, I'm a pacifist and, you know, I'm a vegan. I don't like that. And, and, and you stopped. But keep going. Read all the way through. And one of the things that you'll see is that it's sweet. And then in verse 11, moreover, by them your servant is, is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. One of the reasons why I read the word of God is not only to study it, to teach it, It's because, man, there's great reward in it. There is incredible reward from reading God's word. Have have you ever just thought about the reward that comes from that? Um, We we do incentives, like with with um, with kids at young ages. You know, we have sticker books sometimes, and adults. Believe me, adults love that kind of stuff too, right? We like the badges and the stickers and all that stuff. It's kind of a fun thing. I, I use this U version of the Bible, and when I'm done, it says, congratulations, you've completed your reading plan. Do you want to share this on Facebook? You know, do you want to tweet this? And you get all excited. You get badges. Like, oh, I need more badges. You know, you could read. But, but the reward is not badges. The reward is in and of itself. I meet God through reading the scriptures, I hear his voice through reading the scriptures. I get to know who he is by reading the scriptures. I start to understand wisdom by reading the scriptures. I am warned of stupid things that I'm doing that I don't know are stupid until I read the scriptures. And God is rewarding us as we read his word. It convicts us of of sin. Notice in verse 12, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Um, Secret in two ways. I could have a secret sin that is a secret to you, but I could also have a secret sin that is a secret to me. In other words, a blind spot that I don't know is a blind spot. And sometimes I don't know that I'm doing something wrong, like the friend that I shared about in the college ministry. And when we begin to read God's word, he convicts us of sin. And by the way, it's a good thing to be convicted of sin. Condemnation, it makes us feel so guilty that we run away. Conviction makes us feel that good conviction that says, man, I'm sorry, Lord, I messed up. You know, bring me back. You know, forgive me, restore me. And you know, he is absolutely unconditional in his love. God in his mercy, when he speaks to us and he convicts us of sin, it's not that he's trying to erase us. It's not that he's trying to kill us or stamp us out. You know, he's chasing us because because there's things that are wrong in our lives. That conviction of sin is a, a good thing. And then in verse 14, um, God's word helps us to pray. Let the words of my mouth. So now David is saying, okay, you've spoken your word. Now let the words of my mouth and the meditation that's in my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Um, 
you ever get to a place in prayer that you don't know what to pray? You ever get stuck? Like, man, I don't know what to pray. Um, at, at youth retreats, sometimes we'll do this and we'll say, hey, it's quiet time. And we want you to go by yourself and spend 15 minutes in just silence, just you and the Lord. And I'll tell you what, the first five minutes feels like an eternity sometimes. But if you stay long enough, 15 minutes goes like that and you just want more time. And then you want more time. And what happens is that God's word ignites prayer. Because as I read God's word, I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling. I'm reading it and I'm going, God, I, that's not me. Or God, teach me or God, show me. And then I, I learn what to pray for and I learn different things in God's word to, to really fuel my prayer because I'm praying back to God the things that God already said are true. If I'm not reading his word, is it possible to pray something that is against God's word? Yeah, I have a friend that one time said he, he committed adultery and I remember afterwards I was talking to him and he, he just said, Matt, he goes, I just was so self-deceived I started to pray that God, if this is not your will, then let her reject me. Don't let this work out. And it, she didn't reject him. And so the, he committed adultery. But you know what? God had already spoken in his word, thou shall not commit adultery. That's an easy one, right? But yet if he, and, and you've heard this before, that sin will keep us from this book. Because when we're in sin, we don't want to read it. But what? This book will keep us away from sin. The more that I'm in God's word, the more that I read God's word, it also fuels my, my prayer. And so why do we read the Bible? Um, to know Jesus. Jesus said this, uh, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have life, but it is these that testify of me. So you're reading the Bible, but if you're reading it just for knowledge, you're missing the whole point because Jesus is the point. And so when we read, it's to know Jesus. It's to become fully equipped. Um, that should be second. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Now, like I said, this is a three-part series. I'm just gonna precursor it and then we'll get back to it next week. Um, and, and hopefully next week, I'll have this on a handout for you, but I wanted to just get it into your mind because as a teacher, one of the things that you do at the end of a lesson, you preview the next lesson. And then you come back to the next lesson and then you review what you just learned and then you start to look at the, the stuff that you previewed last week and it starts to set in, it starts to sink in. And, we, and maps, manuscripts, um, ancient manuscripts like Homer's Iliad, um, 643 handwritten copies. That's the greatest ancient literature that we have, the most preponderance of handwritten copies because they didn't have copy machines. Right, They didn't have a printing press, so they had to be handwritten copies. 643 copies. In the New Testament alone, 23,000 manuscripts. Um, you look at handwritten copies and how accurate they are. Archaeology. Every time you dig in Israel and you turn over a shovel, you just prove the Bible's true. Oh, look, we just found this. You know, hey, we don't believe in David. Oh, we found these coins with David's inscription. You know, we, every time they dig, they, they just keep finding new things. Archaeology. Uh, we look at... The P is prophecy, and we'll get more into it next week about prophecy. So important. The Old Testament prophecies, the New Testament prophecy being shown true, and statistics. You've heard it before. The Bible is not just one book. It's 66 different books written over 1,500 years by over 40 different authors from different walks of life, uh, three different languages on four different continents in complete harmony about hundreds of issues. 
statistics. It just shows it's a supernatural book. And then next week, we'll get more into how I read the Bible. Um, but I just wanted you to know that those things are, are coming. The bottom line is this, and we'll, we'll go into a time of communion. In Hebrews, it says this. In former times, God spoke to us by what? Anyone know that verse? By his word, by the prophets. Okay. But then he says, but in these latter days, he has spoken to us. How? Through his son. So Jesus is called the Logos, the word. He is the embodiment of the word of God. And it says that God spoke to us in the past. He spoke to us by his word. And then he spoke to us through his son. That's, that's special revelation. But on top of that, realize that the way we know about Jesus is through reading about him. The way that we know what Jesus was like is when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The more that we apply those principles and teachings through the epistles. And here's the bottom line is this. God spoke. Do you ever just want God to speak to you? Do you ever just say, God, help me. Um, there's this relationship. I just, I don't know what to do. God, help me. God, I am struggling with this addiction. I, I know that this is wrong and I don't want this in my life. Help me. God, I'm going through these doubts. I don't even know if you're real. I'm not even sure that, that, that what my friends believe is what I believe. God, speak to me. God, please, please help me. I'm going through this incredible, difficult time with my health, and I don't know what's going to happen. God, would you just please speak to me? The bottom line is this. It's that God spoke, but here's the question. Do I care? See, God spoke, but do I care that he spoke? God spoke, he sent his son. Do I care that he sent his son? Does that matter to me? Does that change my life? Does that influence me in any way? See, if I am really seeking after the Lord, God says in the book of Jeremiah, seek, you know, if you seek him with all your heart, you search for him, he'll be found by you. Jesus says, seek and you'll find. So when we seek the Lord and we say, God, speak to me, remember this, that God spoke. And, and as we partake of communion, the way that he has spoken more clear than, than any other way, he has spoken through his son and his actions and what Jesus has done for us. We are going to enter into a time of, of communion and what that represents. Um, the bread represents Jesus's body that was broken for us. The cup represents Jesus's blood that was shed for us. And, and what that means, just to put it in, in just plain terms, is that I was separated from God because of my sinful, selfish ways. And God said, hey, I, I will punish that. I can't allow that sin into heaven. I can't allow that sin to, into my presence. That penalty for sin must be paid. And God said, you don't have enough to pay it. I will pay it. And Jesus willingly came and died for you and me. It would be as if we were in a foxhole and someone threw a grenade and Jesus jumped on the grenade. He took the effects of that into his own body that we might live. And so when we partake of the bread and cup, let's not do it lightly. Jesus came in human form with all the temptations that we face, with a physical body, with hunger, with tiredness, with fatigue, with frustration, all the things that we are tempted with, yet he was without sin. And so when we partake of communion, Remember this, this is how God spoke. He said, I love you so much that I've given you my son. Jesus spoke by saying, I'm showing you how much I love you by giving my own life. 
And so as we pray, if you've never received the grace and love and mercy of God, if you've never surrendered to the Lord, I don't care if you've been at church. I don't care if your whole family is, is saved. I don't care if, if you know the Bible. If you've never surrendered and said, Jesus, just take control of my life, then before you partake of communion, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if this is your prayer, then pray along with me. And then I'm going to invite you up to take the bread and cup and we're going to partake together at the end. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have taken time, effort, sacrifice to speak to us. Lord, not only through your word, but through your son. And Jesus, we thank, that, thank you that you have come to die in our place, that you have also risen to show that you really were who you said you were. And I pray that when we partake of the bread and cup today, that God, we would remember that. Lord, we don't come to you in our own righteousness today. We don't come to you saying we, we deserve your uh, attention. We, we deserve an audience with you. We deserve heaven. Because Lord, we are, each one of us, unworthy. But Lord, we thank you that you've given us that free gift that Jesus, you have come to die for us. And so, so Lord, all of us together today, individually, first of all, we just wanna say I surrender to you. Lord, I, I surrender. Lord, I don't wanna do things my own way. When I read your word, I want to be teachable. I wanna be open to the things that you are, are saying. And, and Lord, thank you for speaking. But most of all, thank you for speaking through coming for us. Jesus, forgive us for um, not caring enough. Forgive us, Lord, for the times, God, that you've spoken and we were too busy or we're bored with you or we, we have our own agenda. Things just don't matter to us. God, speak to us. God, help us to still our thoughts. Not just to bow our heads and close our eyes in a, a rote religious way. But we're asking that your Holy Spirit would truly do his work in our hearts. Lord, speak. Help us to hear. Help us to listen. Lord, as we partake of communion, I pray for anyone that is sick, anyone that is weak. Lord, for those that are struggling with doubt. Lord, those that are struggling with indifference. Lord, those of us that are just frustrated with ourselves because we're undone. I pray, God, that as we partake of communion together, that you would you'd fill us with your spirit, Lord. And Lord, maybe in that undoneness, help us not to run away, help us not to close your book. Help us, Lord, to open up your word to say, God, just change us. So, Lord, we thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.